Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Libro.fm Audiobooks. So, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Like, a lot. If I'm not listening to a podcast, I've got an audiobook going. And usually I'm actually hopping between two or three different stories. Sometimes I borrow audiobooks from my library, and sometimes there are books that I know I'll want to listen to over and over. Now, you've got a lot of options when it comes to buying audiobooks, but what if you could support local bookstores at no extra cost to you? Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, you know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story. One that supports community. Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter WINNER. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. But um, rather letting the conversation speak to itself. Now, in this case, though, Teresa, I'm I'm aware of Grace because I listened to the podcast. um, And I assume that she had some influence in this book. (laughs) Maybe. I'm sure you'll tell me as we get going, but... I'll tell you. Even a book that aims to be inclusive can still exclude. So what steps do you take in order to save as much room as you can for others in your story? This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 533. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm speaking with Teresa Thorne and Noah Greenyi about It Feels Good to Be Yourself, a book about gender identity. There are more conversations about gender going on than perhaps ever before, but there are lots and lots of adults and kids alike who are not quite sure exactly how to talk about gender. In Teresa and Noah's debut picture book, readers meet four different children who each identify differently from one another in terms of gender. The narrator introduces each child by sharing how that child identifies now and how that may have changed. Then the narrator provides language to help describe each of these varying gender identities. As we discuss in this conversation, the narrator is that of a guide, an onlooker with us, the readers, but the narrator also uses lots of 
non-definitive language in order to help communicate the fluidity and varied nature of gender identity. Teresa puts it best when she says, We all have a sense of gender identity that belongs to us. I hope that you, dear listener, find that there is space for you in this conversation as well, and for your students, your friends, and your family members. Please welcome my guests, author Teresa Thorne and illustrator Noah Greenyi, with It Feels Good to Be Yourself, a book about gender identity. My name is Teresa Thorne. My pronouns are she and her. Um, I am the co-host of the parenting comedy podcast, One Bad Mother, which is a show created by my good friend, Biz Ellis, um, that's recorded every week. And it's from Maximum Fun, which is a podcast network that I co-own with my husband, Jesse Thorne. Um, I am also the mother of three young children um, and the dog mother of two scruffy dogs. (laughs) And I, um, let's see, I co-wrote a parenting humor book that came out in 2017 um, with my fellow host of One Bad Mother, Biz, Uh, It's called You're Doing a Great Job, 100 Ways You're Winning at Parenting. Um, And then most recently, I am the author of my first picture book for children, which is called It Feels Good to Be Yourself, a book about gender identity. Hi, um, I'm Noah Greenyi. I use they and he pronouns, although I have a strong preference for they. I'm an illustrator slash comic artist from Decatur, Georgia. Um, I'm also a trans boy. I came out in high school. um, And I actually just graduated art school last year, so I don't have... I don't have such a long career history as Teresa, but um, It Feels Good to Be Yourself is the first children's book I've illustrated, and I'm really excited to illustrate more books. I'm really excited that you are working in the picture book medium, because I know that's not always the path that <laughs> artists take. That makes me super, super excited. But I should back up first and, and introduce this book. Um, because Teresa, as a school librarian of, of 12 plus years, um, I'm, I'm grateful to have seen the way that children's literature continues to evolve and adapt and include. But I, uh, I couldn't help but feel upon reading It Feels Good to Be Yourself that this is the first time I've held a book. I've felt a book that, that feels like it sees children in this way. So it, what brought you to writing this story? Um, Yeah, well, I have, like I said, I'm the mother of three, and my eldest is a trans girl. Um, She's now eight years old, but she socially transitioned when she was five. Um, And I just, I found in the course of supporting my daughter um, and learning more about gender, just for my own education, um, that there are so many parents and teachers and school librarians like yourself um, and other adults um, who spend time with children and love children and want to support children um, who would like to be more inclusive and also would like 
to be able to have conversations about gender um, with kids. Uh, but I, I also found that in the process of, you know, sort of my daughter coming out and her transition and in the process of sort of advocating for her and uh, sharing our story with our people in our community who had questions, that a lot of adults who want to be supportive did not really know how to go about having those conversations and seemed to be kind of worried about getting it wrong. Um, and I just felt that a book could really help these conversations happen within families and homes and schools um, in a way that could really just make it possible and that that could make a world of difference for many kids. I really appreciate that the voice in this story um, is not a, a fictional narrative, but rather more of a guide, uh, especially as, as a, it being the format of a picture book, we adults are participants in reading to the child uh, or reading to a group of children as well as the child reading to themselves. Um, but in this case, it, it, I think, is serving a space that we can all learn together and refer back to together. And, and you continually use language that uh, opens up the story beyond the confines of, of the 32 pages you were working in as well, to say that this is not the way all boys and girls are and not the way all non-binary children are as well. You really save that space. But I wonder if when you started working on this book, if if it had always sort of maintained the approach or the voice that it has now? Um, I think it definitely evolved. And um, I think I always started out wanting the book to be as inclusive as possible of all kids' experiences. Um, but what I noticed in the process of writing the book and um, in the through the editorial process and working with Noah, who was actually a really extremely helpful collaborator on this book, including the text, not just the illustrations. Um, I was also going, I was continuing my own education um, about gender. And what I sort of came to realize was that, you know, even a book that aims to be inclusive can still exclude can still alienate some children and it is it's hard when when you're trying to sort of educate and put put things into um, clear definitions um, it's it can be really tricky um, to avoid kind of boxing people in even when you're saying oh you could be boy or girl or both or neither um, you can still potentially box kids in. Um, every, what I learned is that, you know, all of us have our really our own sense of our own gender, and that is unique to us. And I, I just think that that is such a beautiful, genuinely amazing and awesome thing about being human. Um, so I really wanted the book to reflect that, that idea that, you know, actually, I can't fit all the different genders in one book. It's not possible for me to fit all the genders in one book um, because there are an infinite number of ways, a never-ending number of ways to to feel your own sense of gender. 
Um, and once I sort of found those words, um, I felt I felt that the book really did have something to offer to kids because I think that there are plenty of kids, um, even even trans kids, even kids who are very young and identify as trans, they they might not feel trans the way you know some specific book about a trans kid <laughs> describes that trans kid. Um, and it's so important for kids to feel a sense of belonging and a sense of welcome that they are welcome and that they are right however they are um so I just really it was really really important to me that the book um be open-ended in that way to include all kids and all people yeah and you use language that helps with that too by using words like this is a helpful word non-binary is a helpful word that can describe a kid who doesn't feel exactly like a boy or girl you use things like maybe you just use a lot of like no, I mean, this might be the way it is or it might not be. And to come at a book, to approach a voice as an author, as someone who has, by name, authority, but still use those sort of indecisive, uh, the indecisive language saying, I'm not going to say this is concrete because uh, I don't know you and you might identify in a different way and there's space for that. I really found that welcoming. But I also noticed as you were talking that this book wasn't made sort of what might be the, I don't know, typical, air-quoted, typical way of making a picture book, because Noah, you were involved earlier than book is done, let's go find an illustrator for it. Tell me about how how you got involved in this book, Noah. I do not hear Noah. Neither do I. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Noah, I see you Are on you the call. Are you muted, Noah? Let me see if I can... Oh. There I... Oh, no microphone. Now it's unmuted. Noah, talk. Oh, no. Mm. What happened? Let me see if I can type in the... Noah? I'm talking. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> So I assume that, Noah, you can hear us, obviously, but for some reason we can't hear you? I'm talking... Maybe, I can hear Noah, you. did you... Oh, are you there? Yeah, Noah's... Okay, I just oh. unplugged and replugged my microphone. Can you guys hear me now? Totally. That's weird that it, like, fell asleep. Oh, you can hear me this time. I can okay, hear you now. Cool. Wow, that was a... <laughs> How okay. stressful. Uh -huh. I'm so sorry. Okay, take a breath. <laughs> I'm going to ask my question again. Take a breath. Right, cool. Do you think everything else with the setup is okay? Yeah, that, that's weird. Um, I'm using some Apple headphones, so I don't know why they just cut out like that. But I, I, I guess that's why you edit the podcast afterwards. I took a note. 18 minutes and 39 seconds. We're all good. <laughs> all right. So, Do you no. need me to yell the F word? Because I will. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Noah, when you're ready, just tell me how, how you got involved in this book. Yeah, so the process of me illustrating this book was a little bit non-conventional. And um, I think it ties into the own voices movement and just the push in general for books about characters with marginalized identities to be um, 
written or illustrated by someone who shares that identity. And so um, our editor, Kate, reached out to me with that in mind. She only reached out to trans illustrators for this book. And um, for that reason, she was able to find me, even though I was still in art school and I didn't have an agent. I um, She found me through my online portfolio where I have sort of self-published all of my work. And she reached out to me um, while the manuscript was still in the the sort of like polishing stages. And I really, I was so excited about this book because I just love the way that, um, I love the way that it opened the conversation about gender diversity without without um, saying anything too prescriptive or anything too restricting. And um, specifically like for me, um, as someone who didn't really come to terms with their own transness until high school, I just really wish that a resource like this had existed when I was younger, because I think I would have figured my shit out much earlier. <laughs> um, I would have figured my gender out much earlier. And um, so what was I saying? Sorry, I just remembered I'm not supposed to curse. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think that to hear uh the the publisher valuing having the authentic voice in art and in text um maintained preserved in this story um and searching for a trans illustrator uh is is wonderful and on the right track and i love that you the one you had stuff online and so you were able to be found but also that you're like fresh out of art school yeah, well, I actually illustrated this book during my senior year um, at Lesley University, where I was studying illustration. And the art for this book actually became my senior show. So I was able to work with my professors who had illustrated books as well and get their advice. And that was actually really nice to be able to illustrate the book while I was still in that setting, having access to studios and sort of an art community. Your compositions are so beautiful in this. Um, I always talk about like where the camera is is sitting, right? Where the camera is angled in illustration. Um, but you also have such a beautiful color story with these vibrant pinks and indigos and greens and yellows. It just is sort of, I mean, for me, it feels evocative of the ocean, of the sea. Mm. Um, and there's something really comforting to that, that there's space and that there's sort of just a... a I don't know, a smoothness, a smoothness to it. And I also can see your, I can, I can see the texture of the paper. I can see the watercolor, especially in the, in the sky. And that, that quality too, in a story such as this, it feels comforting that I can, I can feel the author there and I can feel the illustrator there. Teresa, your, again, your use of, of maybe, may, maybe you feel this way, or maybe you feel that way. Or maybe when uh, you were born, they looked at you and they did the best guess they could, and they thought you were a boy or they thought you were a girl. Um, but maybe you grow up and find out that that you feel like they got it wrong. That, that sort of uh, space or vulnerability or, or the way that you show that you both are in this book. You have not edited yourselves out of it mm. you're, you're there for those readers that that approach the book that to me felt appropriate and also different from a lot of other books that i read 
and um yeah <laughs> I was gonna say and and we're gonna <laughs> go page turn by page turn and just <laughs> talk about how beautiful all this art is but Noah maybe <laughs> maybe before we go further then tell me about about where in this or or Teresa you as well where in this you first connected Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling and unlock your creative potential with a team of story coaches and published professionals helping you achieve your creative goals. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. Tell me about about where in this, or, or Teresa, you as well, where in this you first connected. Teresa, did you have any say as to what art felt right with your words? I know sometimes the author gets some input in that. Yeah, well, I had, um, I just, I got so lucky. I say this every time people ask me, but it's so true. I just, I, I had some very basic art notes, um, which I was encouraged to do by my agent when I was first putting together the, the book. Um, but every time that Noah sent new work in, it was like that thing where you see the email pop up and you get so excited, you know, like, (laughs) oh, there's new art to look at. And then every time I would just cry, like just every every single thing (laughs) that Noah sent in, I would just cry because we're so well matched. Noah like got the book so completely and not only got the book, but really brought more to the book and made the book come alive in a way that it wasn't before. And so it was just a very meaningful, emotional experience to see my words and thoughts, um, be brought to life, um, for lack of a better way of putting it, um, in Noah's art. Um, so I, I don't think, I don't think I had any notes in particular on, <laughs> on, on Noah's art. I, it was just a really a pleasure and a joy to get to watch that part of the process. There are moments like, oh, yeah, Noah, the, the spread where Ruthie, I'll read, I'll just read the text. Do you mind if I read the text to you? Teresa, can I read to you? Not. I love, <laughs> Please. love reading to people. It says, when people guess... Actually, maybe I should back up just to lead into it. Um, ooh, we love page turns on podcasts. That's fun. Okay, so it, <laughs> so it starts leading into it. See, when you were born, you couldn't tell people who you were or how you felt. They looked at you and made a guess. Maybe they got it right. Maybe they got it wrong. When a baby's body looks like... What a baby's body looks like when they're born can be a clue to what the baby's gender will be, but not always. And then the spread that I want to talk about, when people guess wrong, it's okay to let them know. Ruthie was five when she told her parents, I know you think I'm a boy, but really I feel like a girl. Oops, Ruthie was a girl all along. They just didn't know it at first. Noah, I think the natural thing for the reader to do there that you take such great care of is is to look at the parents faces because i realize Mm -hmm. as a teacher and as a parent that kids are constantly looking at my face for a a a signal as to 
what to do, how to behave. I've heard that mm-hmm. when your child, you know, falls down and scrapes a knee or what have you, um, that the parent is not supposed to <laughs> make a, a sad, like freaking out face because it can add to the stress of the moment for the child. You're supposed to show comfort in your face so that it helps them sort of get over it, move past it faster. And to study the parents' faces in that particular spread, I thought was really wonderful that you have these wide eyes, these eyebrows lifted, that they're listening, that their their body is still. And, and then we follow that up with an embrace afterward and some tail wagging by the dog to indicate like, we're all good. Um, <laughs> and it's okay to make these mistakes because we have to we have to leave room for everyone in this book, right? The people that are going to make mistakes, as well as the people that are going to try to correct those mistakes. And I just, I, I found it really striking and really telling of, of the entire story, how you chose to, to illustrate those faces. So I wanted to um, ask, if you don't mind to just go one step further. No, you've got this whole cast of, of people in this book, and they all feel like you've known them or that you set out in the journey of this book with all of them with I don't know 25 30 different people that we see carried throughout <laughs> this story how how did you approach the individual and their faces and what that would communicate to the reader um well wow, that's a very good question thank you first of all thank you for all the nice things you said about my art um I I felt in this book, um, and actually, you you talked about this on a past podcast. I was because um, I really appreciate this podcast and the platform that you've created for children's books. And you were talking with um, the illustrator Lewin Pham, and I I think you said the simpler the book, the more precise the story and illustrations need to be. Yeah. And this is a book which is very simple. In, in that it um, it doesn't aim to tell the story of one specific child. It's more um, it more aims to be like a guide to the most basic conversation about gender identity, like Teresa said. And so I guess my my challenge while illustrating this, um, because a lot of people have asked me um, why don't the pictures in the book match the words all the time like why why am I not always literally illustrating what's written on the page and I think it's because um as an illustrator I think my job is to add something new to the story and to add all of this character design which can't really be done through text um um a a mentor of mine once told me that a good illustrator draws what's written and a great illustrator um, add something entirely new. So I guess um, with the characters in the book, I was really looking to my own community. I take a lot of inspiration from um, just queer and trans community around me in Boston and Atlanta. Um, and I was just thinking of people who I know and love. And I did I did sneak in a few drawings of real world people. There's actually, <laughs> there's one drawing of me and my partner walking our cat on um we're like extras in one of the spreads and the dog who appears in the book is actually also modeled after my dog his name is deli (laughs) so i snuck a few things in there (laughs) i love that that's cute because my kids 
the dog also looks a little bit like one of our dogs. And so my kids, when we're reading the book, they always go, there's Coco. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The dog is modeled after my dog, Deli, who I grew up with. He's a miniature poodle. And I just wanted him to have his chance at fame, I guess. <laughs> but um, you said earlier that you made a comment earlier about the watercolors. And I felt like um, watercolor was really the medium I wanted to use for this book because it's um, it's a medium that children are familiar with. Like kids paint with watercolor all the time. And I wanted it to be something um, where kids could see this book and um i've i've done a few signings and i always do watercolor workshops where i show kids some of my painting techniques and we just paint together i really wanted the illustrations in this book to be something where they could um imagine themselves illustrating a book with the same with the same materials and um a girl said to me last week at a, a book signing after I showed her all of my original paintings and she was like, I want to go home and put my paintings in a book. And that was really cute. (laughs) So that was why I chose watercolor. (sighs) I find it striking that for, for how much we talk about um, how vibrant the colors are that you choose. None of the, none of, of the color blocking that you do feels unnatural for the sky to look pink and purple, for the the grass to be popping with such bright colors. I, my, one of my favorite spreads is the sidewalk chalk and the mm-hmm. children all gathered around that. And I just feel like as, as different as the colors feel, it reminds me that like our, our things are just this vibrant. If you look, the grass is just as blue and green and the, the, socks you're wearing are just as bright pink <laughs> who knows what? <laughs> i just think all of it is just it's there you both really see children in this and to go to the way you interpreted the art for this i felt like so we have i'm gonna read again just to illustrate this um you said that you didn't like directly illustrate uh Teresa's words and i think that it's important in hearing the voice of this to talk about why the book starts this is ruthie she's a transgender girl that means when she was born everyone thought she was a boy until she grew a little older old enough to tell everyone that she's actually a girl girl is ruthie's gender identity and we continue on about ruthie's brother xavier who is a cisgender boy and we continue on that way and the 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 voice that we have is is that of of a teacher of someone being beside a child or beside another adult saying, observe this. These characters have allowed us, invited us to observe them, to to enter into their world. So let's talk about what we see. Let's use those words again, like maybe, or or mistakes, or oops, or um, I wonder, to, to, to really embrace that, that sense of observing things and not deciding but leaving space not being so final about what you see but leaving that space so i think that really the two of you did did quite an exceptional job on this and i think as i said with win uh about about her work that it picture books are really really hard to make for 
a certain reason. And it's because it's hard to get them to come out like you and Teresa had this book come out. <laughs> it's hard to get just the right words and to show just the right thing and still save space for that child. Teresa, I think you did such a smart thing at the end here to include some back matter to just help. Helpful terms, some terms that you don't even use in the book itself, um, uh, but using, uh, you know, like like intersex or sex assigned at birth or just phrasing that we didn't maybe directly see in the text to note about pronouns, to point to other resources. I feel like I get asked as a book blogger and podcaster and such, I get asked often by writers about whether or not it's appropriate to include back matter in this case or not. And I think that your book holds up that example of you include back matter when it's needed, when the child might have a couple more questions and the reader might not quite know how to answer them, but but you, the author, haven't gone away. You're still here. There's just a couple more words that are still here to help, um, you know, shine a light on the right direction. So I appreciate you, Teresa, for, for including that to help us, you know, continue to feel supported. Well, thank you. And I think I, I just I have to give credit to our wonderful editor, Kate Farrell. Um, I think it was <laughs> yes. her idea to include the back matter in the first place. And I think it's I think it's extremely helpful. I totally agree. I think it was I think it was definitely um, a helpful thing to add to the book. And um, and just Kate was just from the very beginning. She was just so ready to make this book and make it right. And um, I, I just really appreciate her. Teresa, you've got this fabulous episode of One Bad Mother that I think is from by now, like a year and a half ago. Uh, maybe two and a half years. It would have been two and a half years, I guess, because it's 2017, um, where where you talk about your daughter and you talk about um, what that experience was like for you. But I wonder if you might um, briefly here be able to, to sum up what it was like for you and Jesse uh, and for your daughter um, to communicate to you um, her gender identity and, and, and what since then life has looked like. And then I'll make sure that I, I I link to that episode in the show notes for people to go a little deeper. Do you mind sharing though? Sure. Um, I'd be happy to share. Um, so my daughter, Gracie, um, started, uh, expressing that she maybe liked girl things, wanted people to think she was a girl. Um, she had different ways of saying it. Um, probably around late, late three and a half, early four. Um, and my husband, Jesse and I, we both grew up in the San Francisco Bay area and have pretty progressive parents. And we both went to arts high school and we were for all of our own personal background reasons, um, very comfortable with our child's sort of experimentation with various types of expression. Um, and at no point in those very early years that, you know, when she was three and four, did we think that we had a trans child? Um, we both know trans people and knew had trans friends then. And this was not what we thought we, we needed to be thinking about. <laughs> um, we just thought, you know, gender is, 
absolutely a social construct and, you know, our kids should be able to express themselves and try out different things. Um, but around the time that um, our child was turning five and starting kindergarten, um, her comments and questions about her gender seemed to be a little bit more fraught um, and she, it seemed to be bothering her more. Um, and so we just sort of tried to learn what we could and open up conversations. And I think it's important for me to say that at the time, my understanding of what it would look like to have a trans kid was based on my limited um, exposure to like, you know, uh, there, there was a podcast, How to Be a Girl, um, there was the This American Life episode um, that were that mostly covered kids who were from a young age 100% clear, I'm this other gender, I'm this opposite side of the binary gender. And they were 100% clear and they were um, really, uh, really clear about that from day one. Um, and so because my child wasn't doing that, I thought, you know, that she must not be trans. Maybe she's just, you know, got her own way of being in the world. Um, but what I learned was that, you know, again, everyone is different. So, um, everyone has their own process of self-discovery and, um, my, my daughter, it took her a while to say, I'm a girl, um, for a long time. She said other things. Um, but what we figured out was that it didn't make sense to, um, sort of like wait for her to like prove to us that she was a girl if she said that she felt like a girl and wanted to be a girl and wanted to have a girl name and wanted to dress like a girl and wanted she and her pronouns that that was fine um so we and and we also learned that you know nothing nothing we could do as her parents would change her identity her sense of self it would just make her feel more or less loved in the world so obviously we wanted to support her um and and let her know how loved she is in the world um and so her trans her initial um social transition you know going by a different name that she chose and um using she and her pronouns at school um, all of that happened pretty quickly uh, because as soon as because as soon as we sort of told her that she could do that, she was immediately like, "Yes, of course I want to do that." Um, and so, you know, that was three years ago. Um, and nowadays, um, she, you know, it's it's hard to imagine that she was ever any other way and um and yeah i'm just I'm, I'm grateful for her it's just one thing about her she's <laughs> she's a really cool girl <laughs> that's awesome thanks for sharing that with us i i think that um i think that as teachers we we look for cues and i'm sure that you um have helped those those other adults in her life and i think often about 
um, especially as we start school and we get into <laughs> the notorious banned books week, where I'm always sharing all sorts of books because isn't it funny what what books um, parents and sometimes teachers think are dangerous or not fitting in a library <laughs> because they because <laughs> they point to different understandings or viewpoints of the world than their own. I'll just say it that way. That seems like the most democratic way to say it. But um, I, I think about how with whatever books I share during that time, inevitably, I always get someone telling me that, that they don't think those books are appropriate for children because, you know, you don't do sex education until middle school or high school. And the to see that for perhaps, perhaps a great portion of the population, I'm not sure, a lot of people seem to be forcing a connection between um, gender identity and sexuality, even from a very, very young mm. age. Um, it just reminds me that that books like this and helping helping all teachers feel and adults feel like they are perhaps a little better equipped to have a conversation that they don't need to be afraid of having this conversation and and opening up their their child's world a little bit more. I just um I've struggled this entire conversation to find the right words to thank you for 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 that quality as I'm now back in school and preparing to meet uh, a group of children for the very first time, Teresa, but I uh, I'll find it one day and I'll send you an email those right words. But for now, I just want to express <laughs> my gratitude to you and to Noah both because this this book is really beautiful and really beautifully done and it feels very important. Um, and it's one that I feel honored and blessed to be able to share with children and with their teachers and with their parents. So thank you both. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. I, th I think it, it's <laughs> most fitting if we end uh, turning back to those children. So I want to ask you each in turn, Teresa, I'll start with you. I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Um, yes. Uh, I want kids to know that adults around them are doing their best and we're learning too. And that kids know themselves the best. Um, so as we learn, as grownups learn, um, kids are the people who know themselves best. And it's okay if a grown-up around them doesn't understand them as well as they understand themselves. Um, and that they are exactly perfect the way that they are. Yes. Noah, mm. <laughs> same question. I'll see a library <laughs> full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message I can bring to them from you? Um, a message for the children. I was trying to think of what to say without being too cliche, um, but I would say stay true to yourself. Don't feel ashamed of the things that make you different, although that's much easier said than done. Um, and whether you live in an area where, whether you're in a situation where the grown-ups in your life understand you or you don't, um, just remember that you know yourself best. Um, and and be proud of the things that make you different because often those things will become your greatest strengths.
This is Darshna Kiani, author of How to Wear a Sari, coming in fall 2020. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.darshanakhiani.com forward slash South Asian Kid Lit. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Pottington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and keeping the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Jenny, Sue, Amy, Sarah, Kate, Lisa, Darshna, Marianne, Jarrett, Anitra, Mike, Lynn, Link, Karina, Cynthia, Elaine, Doug, Judy, Amanda, Ruth, Laura, Teresa, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to come with us, too. Just visit patreon.com slash matthewcwinner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.